sure you take the right door on your way down. There's no telling where you might end up. Can you make it through to the night's end? I'll see you soon. <laughs>
So the first morning, we were all after him. He couldn't get away. He escaped by jumping into the pool. The girls jumped right in after him. So did I. Everyone got in trouble since we weren't wearing bathing suits and it wasn't swim time yet. The council has pulled us out of the pool soaking wet and made us walk out of camp. They were mad. They took us out past the fence, through the woods, and they made us keep going for a really, really, really long time. We had to stay quiet. We came to a place where there weren't trees. In the middle of this really long grass were these rocks. They are in a big circle. Counselors all started moaning in creepy, spooky voices, saying the deserted stones. Ooh. The deserted stones. Ooh. The rocks were weird shapes. They looked like animals. Some were almost as tall as me and you could sit on them. But when Cody went to jump up on one, the counselor yelled and grabbed his arm. Annika, the oldest counselor, put her hands on her hips. She looked even madder than the rest of them. She said, If you idiots want to do stupid stuff at Camp Ninaloo, then you have to know the risks. She walked slowly around the outside the circle of kids. She told the story of the camp and the Ninaloo massacre. She said, There was once a little village of people who lived on the land where the camp is now. For a long, long time before the colonists arrived, they were called the Lenape. But things changed quick when the settlers came. During the French and Indian War, the colonists got mad at the Indians and they raided the village. She said everyone in the village was killed and the colonists hurried away. No one buried any of the dead Indians or anything. But when the colonists came back a week later to take necklaces and treasure and other stuff, all the bodies were gone. The village was gone too. All the wigwams and everything the Indians built had vanished. Literally the only thing left were these deserted stones, Annika said, gesturing around the circle. The other counsellors made the creepy ghost sounds again. She said after that, colonists started to disappear. They'd go out to hunt in the hills, or down to the river to do some washing. They'd never come back. Everyone said it was the ghosts of the Lenape returned to get their revenge. Even today, some kids who stray far from camp are never heard from again. Ooh, said the counsellors. She said part of the tradition of Camp Ninaloo is every night we played a game called Lenape Ghosts. The campers are the innocent colonists who hide in fear. The counsellors are the Indian ghosts hunting them down. It's just hide and go seek in the dark, but there's more at stake than your regular game. She said in the dark, the kids hide. The counsellors find them. The ones who were found get the mark. Annika smiled, showing sharp metal braces on her teeth. Campers by now were all totally silent, looking worried about the counsellor's weirdo story. She said the mark is a dark blotch made with some of the berries from the bushes in the woods around the camp. The counsellors squash the berries into the bottom of the kid's right foot, which stains their skin. It marks them forever as ghosts of the lost Lenape tribe, who become finders every night the rest of their lives. The counsellors are already all part of that tribe, after their time as campers. Even the littlest kids laughed at how silly it all was, hearing Annika's story on that bright sunny day. The counsellors didn't try their spooky voices again. Some of them were even laughing, 
they took us back to camp. The day passed. It got a little dark. The bonfire was lit. But right after everyone ate hot dogs and some apple pie, and the night cooled to camp, the counsellors led us away from the fire into the dark. When our paid ghosts began, Cody was already in fourth grade, but he was a dummy. He thought he could outrun all the counsellors, so he picked the stupidest hiding place behind a little bush. They found him right away. He jumped out and tried to get away, but he couldn't outrun teenagers. No matter how fast he was for a fourth grader, the counsellors caught him, and they held him down and gave him the mark. And then they made him a finder. I heard all this from my perfect hiding spot. The hollow log was hard to find. You couldn't really see it from the path, and it was big inside. It had one tiny knot hole I could see out of. I listened to the chases, the pounding steps and the breaking branches as the kids ran past or switched hiding spots. Some laughs, some screams. They caught almost half the kids right away, but I stayed still, breathing quiet the whole time. I only climbed out when the whistle blew and the game was over that first night. I snuck through the shadows and joined the rest of the campers around the shrinking fire. The camp week was forever. Literally. During the days, we played games and went on hikes and took canoes out on the pond. We got sunburns and itchy bug bites and water in our ears. The campers earned badges and prizes. We made matching Ninaloo shirts and most of us became friends. But as the sun went behind the trees, all the kids got quiet. We knew it was almost time for the Lenape ghosts again. We'd have to play every night. For the whole week. None of the hiders, the kids who hadn't been caught yet, liked the game. We dreaded it. Literally. But the finders loved the game. The finders group grew and grew. As more kids were found and marked each night, the hiders group got smaller and smaller. About halfway through the week, I realised the finders were acting weird. The games got faster. People got madder. And sometimes there were fights. Even the nicest kids became like different people. Counselors said it was heat stroke. Sent the kids to the nurse to get water, take a break in the shade. But almost right away, they were back to play. And it started all over again. And of course, there was Cody. He was so handsome and fast, we all chased him right into the pool that first day at camp. But after he became a finder, he was totally different. Now he wouldn't even look at me at any of us. His floppy hair just covered his face so you never saw his eyes. He didn't smile. The girls didn't chase him anymore since he had stopped running. During the day, he just walked everywhere with slow steps. But at night, he was faster than ever. He became the best finder of all. He tracked down kids one by one, even quicker than the counsellors. He flew through the shadows like a bat kids screamed. By the fourth night, I was one of only five campers still hiding. That night was chilly, like it was already the fall. I kept myself warm by blowing into my hands and rubbing them together, until I heard footsteps, closer than never before. I froze, hands at my mouth, closer, closer came the steps, then the feet stopped short. 
With a creaking over my head, someone sat down on my log. I looked through the knothole. The shadow was a boy with floppy hair. It was Cody. He was sitting right there, just looking up at the black. Then I heard him whistle something. It didn't sound like music. It was just sounds. Spooky sounds that made no sense. He stayed right there while I barely breathed. After what seemed like literally forever, Cody jumped up and ran off. Right after that, I heard the screams of two more campers far away. They were found and marked across the other side of the camp. When the counsellor's whistle blew, and I came out of my spot and walked back to the bonfire, only two other hiders walked out of the woods into the clearing with me. All of the finders' eyes glowed with that hot orange light as they watched us. I was scared. I slept bad. I had dreams about running, trying to escape. When I tripped over logs and rocks in my dreams, my legs in the sleeping bag jerked me awake. Literally. The next day I was so tired I fell asleep in the canoe, and twice more during lunch out in the pavilion. I opened my eyes for the second time everyone had finished eating and left. Except Cody. We were alone. He stared at me for a long time. I'm going to find you. He said. I'm going to mark you. He said. His face didn't move. He didn't blink. And then he walked off. That last night at the bonfire, I nervously waited with the two other hiders. The counsellors were late. But when they finally appeared to start the game, they were all dressed like old colonists in Thanksgiving history books. Big hats and buckles for the boys, and aprons and bonnets for the girls. Lots of black. It's so weird. They all smiled. The whole huge group of them, looking down at us three little kids left. Suddenly, I felt sick in my tummy. When I saw Cody standing among them, finally realised, all along, the Indians had never been the bad guys. It was the colonists the whole time. When we got found, we'd become part of the big group of bullies, the finders who were marked. The hiders were just the little and RP ghosts, no chance. That's who the game was really named for, the hiders who were always going to lose one of those nights. Annika the counsellor looked at me. Only me. She grinned. Her metal teeth shined like knives in her mouth. She said, Good luck to our little hiders. You'll need it tonight. She laughed, and then blew the whistle, and the three of us ran off into the dark to hide. Five minutes head start is all they ever gave us. So I ran one way, then two other ways to throw everyone off before coming back to my same hollow log. But when I got there, and started to climb in, something growled at me. <sighs> I jumped back. There was no animal. The white face of a camper appeared at the entrance. This is my hiding spot, said the girl. Another third grader who was kind of a brat. Get out, she said. It's my spot, I whispered been here every night. Well, now you can try something new, she said. She laughed loudly. (laughs) 
There was no way I could squeeze in next to her, and the finders were coming any minute. So I sprinted away from the light of the fire to the darkest part of the woods. Came to the edge of the camp. Deserted stones. It was totally black that far into the trees, without any moonlight. But I felt my way to the circle. Going around, I found the weird rock shaped like a rhino I'd remembered. And I slipped underneath it, into a space just big enough for me. A minute later, the footsteps of a finder crashed through the woods. They roared like monsters. Probably because they were. Moments after the start, the brat in the log yelped. She was pulled out screaming, then marked. Knew it was Cody, who had been waiting until that night to catch me there. I giggled for a second, but shut up quick. It would be a long time before the game was over. My spot under the rhino wasn't the greatest hiding spot, and I knew Cody was looking for me. My heart beat fast. I breathed hard. Sure enough, the weird whistling I'd heard the night before got closer and louder with each breath. Cody was coming. I kept my eyes and ears open. His footsteps got louder, till they stomped through the final row of trees. The music that made no sense echoed all around the clearing. The feet swished through the high grasses, like hissing. The whistling stopped. The footsteps went around the outside of the circle. The other side was coming toward my stone, but I saw nothing. He moved without a light. The swishing on the grass went quiet, and I heard a grunt, and a slap of sneakers on stone. Cody was jumping from rock to rock, never touching the ground. A few seconds later, he landed hard on the rhino over me, and he stopped. His breathing was so loud, he sounded like an animal. Feet scratched at the stone like he was dancing. I wondered if he was trying to get the rock to crush me. I almost screamed. But then he jumped to the next deserted stone. He didn't know exactly where I was. He cleared his throat. He started to talk. But his voice sounded older. Like he was a man and not just a boy. So I was thinking, the hiders are really the Lenape ghosts. As you've probably figured out by now, the colonists were always really the bad guys. The finders who hunted down their enemies. Everyone joins the group as they get older. As the nights pass, eventually. But there's one thing about the Ninalu massacre legend no one really knows. Not everyone from the Lenape village was killed. One was left alive. Little girl. Kid our age was hiding under one of the huge rocks in the area, what we now call the deserted stones. These very rocks where you're hiding. Some say the colonists didn't know she was there, but that's not true. One of the raiders saw her turn off to the rocks, and he even tracked her down, but he did not pull her out of her hiding place. Instead, he told her what I'm telling you now. There needs to be one witness, one native to know the awful truth about the doom coming to their entire people, one to survive and tell the story, always and forever. Now two kids are left in our little game, but only one is going to get caught and marked, the other 
is the winner. The winner won't join our club. The winner will be the eternal hider. The last Lenape. The final free little ghostie. The one that gets away. Could be you. Depends how long you can hold your breath. How long you can cower in the shadows while we sniff you out. He leapt from rock to rock, continuing around the circle. Then I heard him laugh a little. He'd finally figured out where I was. I knew it. Maybe he'd heard my breaths. He's coming around the ring to get me. But I was going to make it as hard as possible. Literally. So slowly. Quietly. I slid out of the hiding spot. I rose to my knees. Then to my feet. And then, with the quickest steps, I darted back the way I came. For a little girl, I've got a good sense of direction. As you and Mama always say. So seconds later, I was far from the stones racing toward the glow of the bonfire. From behind, I heard Cody roar just as he pounced on my hiding spot, only to find it empty. I was afraid. I heard Cody sprinting for me, and I knew he'd catch up quick. Then the shadows came at me. All the finders who had been silly campers hiding out in the dark until they'd been caught. They were quiet and slow. They closed in on my right, so I darted to the left, toward the wet, leafy area near the pond. I was running hard. I got tired and my feet became heavy. That's why, after going over a few logs, it was a pile of leaves I couldn't jump all the way over. But instead of my feet just slipping through the wet underbrush, they hit something solid hidden inside. Hard but soft, too. As I tripped over it, falling forward into a hard roll across the ground, I heard the cry of pain from the pile. By accident, I found the other hider who was left. Rolled and rolled, and then my head hit something hard. And it was dark. I only remember some shouts, some voices. Then it was daylight. I glared at my daughter. Her head was back on the pillow and her eyes were closed. Shadows. She had gone silent. Her hands crossed over her tiny chest. Well? I said. What happened? What do you mean what happened? She said. Her eyes opening. The game ended. But were you the last hider? I said. Were you the winner? The one left to tell the tale? The last ghost? All I know is that I tripped over that girl and she screamed. And then I fell and hit my head on the ground. That was why you and Mama got me a day early from camp. Remember? I remember that part of it. I said. Did the finders get the other hider in the leaf pile first? Or did they get you before her? Who got marked on their foot? Was it the left foot? The right foot? I don't remember which foot. Left or right, she said, voice drifting off. Her head turned toward me on the pillow. The nightlight's tiny glow cast a strange shadow across her mouth. She was suddenly an old woman. A different person from a different life. Another era entirely. She smiled, showing rotten blackened teeth. With a howl, I jerked up and flicked on the lamp. What's wrong, Dada? She said, rubbing at her eyes with little fists. 
and bright lamplight without any of the treacherous shadows play. She was my cute little kitten again. I took a deep breath and tried another tack. I rose from the bed. I went over to the window across the room and straightened the curtains. But after a careful moment, I rushed back the few steps and yanked up the bottom of her covers to reveal two socked feet. I reached to yank the socks off, both of them, just to be sure. But her feet darted back, recoiling like a forest creature back within its lair. Daddy, she said, rising in alarm. What are you doing? I relented, untensed. (sighs) Nothing, kitten. I was just going to give you a tickle, I said, smiling, kissing the crown of her head. I turned off the lamp and ruffled her hair. Just before I closed the door behind me, I looked back. I loved your story. It was genuinely scary, lots of suspense. Thanks, Dada, she said, turning over. But she turned back. Her eyes were wide for a moment. Dada. Dada. One thing. I don't have to go back to Camp Dinaloo next summer, do I? We can talk about it with Mama, kitten, I said. But I'm happy to do what's best for you next summer. Thanks, Dada, she said, turning over again with a deep, contented sigh. Downstairs, I poured two glasses of Merlot for my wife and I and carried them out onto our dark wraparound porch. The Indian summer sweltered on and we wore shorts and tank tops that October night. We toasted, sipped, and rocked in our chairs. I kicked off my sandals and put my bare feet up on the stool. Kitten had a bedtime story for me, I said. Oh? said Mama. What about? A tale of Lenape ghosts and a handsome boy and some games at camp. Just a spooky story. I sipped my wine. Handsome boy, said Mama. God, that isn't starting yet, is it? It is indeed, (laughs) I said. It seems innocent enough, though the handsome boy sounds troubled. At least he's fast. Fast? Running, I said, shaking my head, chuckling. Just running. We sipped our wines, scratched my prickly foot with the toes of my other one and listened to the insects in the trees struggling to survive, but ultimately doomed to die for the season. Guess we're not sending her back to that camp next summer, said Mama. Of course we are, I said, scratching my left soul's eternal itch underneath the blemished skin. I learned everything I know back at Camp Ninaloo in my day. No matter what, that place really leaves its mark on you. You've been listening to the Night's End Podcast, Halloween Special 2023. Production by Dissonance Media. Bedtime Story was written by Seth Augenstein. Seth Augenstein is a writer of fiction and non-fiction. His debut novel, Project 137, was called An Involving Tense and Visceral Near Future Thriller by Kirkus, and it won a Reader's Favourite Award. His second novel, Llama with a Gun, was called an exhaustively researched, bloody and compelling work of historical fiction by Kirkus. 
His short stories have appeared in more than a dozen magazines and fiction podcasts, including Writer's Digest, The Grey Rooms Podcast, The Molotov Cocktail, and others. He spent a decade writing for New Jersey newspapers, most recently The Star Ledger. He was also the editor of Forensic Magazine, a tour guide at the James Joyce Center, and a student in Saul Bellow's final class. Now he lives on a rocky ridge in New Jersey with his wife, daughters, dog named Mishima, and cats. This episode was narrated by James Barnett, aka Jimmy Horace, who is the creator and producer of The Night's End, After the Gloaming, and is a frequent producer on Hawk and Cleaver's The Other Stories, most recently on their 2023 Halloween special, Dream. Jimmy Horace was performed by James Barnett. The Night's End Halloween theme was composed by Duncan Muggleton. This episode was edited and produced by James Barnett. Stay horrific, everyone.